Um, what a joy to be together, church family. Can I ask you to stand with me? And I, I hope everyone got it as you came in. Um, we printed out the scripture this morning so everybody could have it on the sheet. And uh, guys, it's 40 verses. That's a long passage of scripture. And so I just want to encourage you. Um, part of why I wanted us to stand is just to help us physically attend to this word. Because in our day and age, our attention span shrinks. And this one is worth attending to. So let's read together. Read with, listen with your eyes. Listen with your ears. May the Lord open your heart as we read this psalm together. Psalm 37 of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness or find safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draws the sword and bends their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old. 
Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Amen. You can take your seats. Praise the Lord for this psalm. Praise the Lord for this word. So one of the things I want to make a couple comments and thank you guys for reading through that together. When we approach the psalms, as you may notice, the psalms are poetic. The psalms are meant to be recited and sung. And in fact, they're not, we read an English translation, but this is ancient Hebrew poetry, which is why, and actually uh, in this psalm in particular, it's actually marked out by uh, the Hebrew alphabet. So I put the Hebrew letters in there, just next to the verses that started with those letters, just to remind us, this is a Hebrew poem. It's, it's ancient Hebrew. It's poetry, and poetry, I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a literature guy, but poetry is meant to be read and felt. This part of scripture is meant to be felt. And have, have we not felt, as we listen to Psalm 77, and we listen to Psalm 46 and 42 and 43, and we listen to Psalm 103, have we not felt, have we not felt what the Lord wants us to feel? So I, I'm so keen that we, that we do that here as well. Uh, this psalm is so full. The other thing that you'll see right away in the psalms, and it takes some diligence to press through, especially in our modern day and age and when we are all about efficiency, is that it's repetitive. There are parallelisms throughout most psalms, especially in this one. It's like he keeps saying the same thing. Get on with it. Like, you know, when I'm reading my scripture in the morning and I have other things to do, I kind of want to skip over that stuff. Let's just be honest. But it's there for a reason. It's for us to feel and it's impactful and it's powerful. So I just wanna encourage you as you approach the Psalms, 
Recognize that. See that it's there. Slow down. Read it. Read it again. Really take it in. So helpful. And then finally, just to encourage you again as you're reading, not just for the sermon times on Sunday, but in your own reading. What problem in life does this psalm address? What does it mean for me to feel and then to do? So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're not going to preach this whole song. There's no way. We're going to talk about what is the main problem in life that this psalm addresses. Well, it is simply this, and you can't get through it without tripping over the words. What do we do when the wicked prosper? How do we respond when it seems like those who are godless and evil prevail? How are we supposed to feel in response to that? And what are we supposed to do? Okay, so that is, that is the main question of this psalm. And brothers and sisters, in the simplest terms, there's lots of specific commands and lots of specific ways, but I would say this to summarize the overall direction of this psalm for us, and that is this. Don't worry. Wait for the Lord. It sounds so simple, but that's the call of this psalm. Three times it says, fret not yourselves. Three times it says, wait. Don't worry, wait for the Lord. In the face of prosperity of evildoers, in the face of, we don't have to think hard or long to find examples of that, do we? Oppressive regimes, we live in a free country. Many of our brothers and sisters can't meet like this on this very morning precisely because their lives are at risk just because they believe in Jesus. But it's not just those big overarching things, is it? It's also close to home. Many of us have experienced abuse from family members historically or even currently. Some of us are in tough, tough circumstances, work-wise, work situations where you're not being treated justly. You're not getting a fair shake. I know a colleague of mine, he might actually have to blow the whistle on his company, which will mean he will lose his job. These are all examples and there's many more. When the evildoers appear to prevail, what are we to do? How are we to think? Well, this psalm says, again, don't worry, wait, wait, wait. Why? Why are we exhorted to wait? Well, there's a couple of reasons that we can draw from here. Number one, and probably most profoundly, church family, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. He knows. Look, verses 12 and 13. The wicked plots and he gnashes, but the Lord laughs. Why? Because he sees his day is coming. Down at verse 18 and 19. The Lord knows the days of the blameless. You know, I was with them Friday night. Uh, we were at a soccer game and um, Neil, Neil Smart was there with his kids. We were watching uh, the game together. And I, I saw the boys 
They didn't do it meanly. It wasn't with malicious or forethought. But they knocked Isla down, his youngest, she's four-year-old, sweetheart. And I saw the whole thing happen, knocked her down. And I'm like, okay, no blood, no broken bones, she's good, you know. That's a typical dad response, right? But then I watched her, she got up, looked for dad, ran over to dad, and then the tears come. And dad picks her up, Neil's got her in his arms. She just needed him to know. Church family, do you know the Lord knows? Whatever you're in, he knows. There's a huge relief in just that truth, that he knows. He knows. The same way that she was comforted knowing Neil knew what had happened. Let's be comforted that he knows. He knows. He knows. Why else should we wait? Well, the Lord provides. He upholds. Throughout the psalm, it's talking about He upholds us by the hand. He provides for us. You know, what's interesting to me is that this psalm is not just all about the future. It is profoundly about the future, but it's also about now. He provides now. He provides repeatedly. Again and again, the Lord provides Better is the little, verse 16, that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. It's always in contrast. There's that parallelism again, a parallelism. He is, he's providing, and the little that we have with him, infinitely superior to the abundance of many wicked. There is a real truth in that. There's, there's a bit of, a, did you guys get a feel as we read it? It sounds a little like Proverbs. Did you notice that? It's a little proverbial. There's wisdom, there's principles being laid out for us here. That's by design, that's intentional. There's actually some verses here that are direct. You can go find the Proverbs exactly, same Proverbs. Multiple verses like that. The Lord provides. He meets our needs in the middle of where we are. It isn't just that he knows and is just standing back aloof. No, he actually provides. It's like, the, again, the pick on the Neil picking Isla up and holding her. I don't think she actually hurt herself. There was a provision right there, a comfort. I'm with you. And in so many other ways, the Lord does the same with us. He upholds us. It is both now and the future. I don't want us to miss that fact because many, many times as believers, and particularly those of us who have been believers for a long time, we jump straight to the future solution. And we don't recognize what God is doing for us now. This psalm, brothers and sisters, speaks to us both and. He is with us now. He upholds us now, just on your own. Part of the reason we wanted you to have this is to go, when you leave after today, go study this psalm. There's so much more that can be said. Look how many times the Lord acts and mark when it's in present tense or future. Because I bet on one pass, I certainly thought, on one pass, it's mostly about the future. No, it's actually more about now. It's more about now. So why wait? The Lord knows. And the Lord upholds. He provides. But how? How do we wait? What can we learn from the psalm in terms of how? How we wait? Well, it is active. I don't know about you. I don't like being told to wait. I don't know anybody likes being told to wait. And if the answer is wait, 
I'm not real happy with that, just on the face of it. Whether I'm waiting for my Chick-fil-A, or I'm waiting at a doctor's office, or I'm sitting at the VA, whatever. Who likes waiting? Nobody. But that's what this psalm says to do when we come face to face with wicked and evildoers prospering in their way, prevailing over us, even attacking in some ways. It says, wait. How? How are we to wait? Well, it's interesting that that the first time we see the the word wait was in verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The verb originally has this connotation behind it of intense writhing. Think about that. It's not a passive stoic. Too often we think of waiting as just like stoic. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna sit. Okay, fine. I'll just sit here and wait. And it's almost like the assumption being that if you're a, a, a Christian or a believer, yeah, you just, just take it. You guys need to just take it. Stiff upper lip, stiff backbone, just deal, right? That is not what this psalm is saying. That is not what wait means. Wait is active and there's an intense writhing internally. What is that writhing? What I see is not the reality according to my father. Boy, do we get that in spades in this song. Perception is not reality, is it? They look like they're succeeding. They look like they're, but they're gonna fade. They're gonna wither. They're gonna be cut off. There is truth there. That, that is what waiting looks like. Waiting is reasserting the truth. I'm trusting God over my feelings. I'm trusting God over what I see, over what I experience. That's active waiting. That's leaning forward waiting. That's internally, intensely writhing with the realities and the mismatch, the mismatch of what I'm experiencing and what God says is true. Boy, if there's not a single quick summary of all the Psalms, that's probably it. The mismatch between what we experience and what is true. No wonder we need 150 chapters and so much repetition. Don't we? We need to feel it. And we need to be reminded this is what it means to actively wait. And it's God-centered, church family. It's God-centered. We're not waiting passively, looking to ourselves. It said refrain from anger, forsake it. It tends only to evil. Don't take things into your own hands. I'm not going to go fix this. I'm not going to make it happen. That's not waiting. Actively waiting is trusting the Lord's going to work, again, both now and in the future. So we wait. Why? We wait because the Lord knows and he upholds. But how do we wait? We wait actively. We wait leaning forward into him. We wait hopefully, full of hope, not in ourselves, not in the resolution of the circumstances, as much as we want them to be resolved. That is not our hope. Nope, the hope is centered in God. The hope is centered in the fact that he is guaranteeing our inheritance. How many times did he say forever? How many times did it say you'll dwell in the land? How many times did it say you will inherit the land? In the ancient Israelite, that was everything. Inheriting the land doesn't mean anything to us. Then it was everything. It was everything. Think of the, uh, there's, there's really hard, it's no, there's not a one-to-one parallel for us. The closest I can get is like your home and your livelihood. It's everything, all the means of provision, all the means of security, you will inherit it. God repeatedly telling us in the middle of our circumstances, you will inherit the land. 
That is God-centered. That's what waiting looks like. We wait actively trusting him that that will be so now and in the future. So, do you see how when it says, don't worry, wait, initially our response would be, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Oh no, church family, it's so much richer than that. It's so much richer. We wait, why? Because the Lord knows and he upholds us. And we wait how? Actively centered on him, full of faith and hope. That's the message of this psalm to us. That is our hope this morning. So I just want to close. I just have one other point to draw from this. And and bear with me, because this one, I actually struggle with this a good bit. In reading through this psalm, it took me a while, but I, you know, you can't, get through it without tripping over this word, the wicked. And I actually counted it. There are 20 references in 40 verses to the wicked, or wicked is most of them, 14 of those are wicked, and then there's evildoer, transgressor, those who, uh, enemies of the Lord, the one who prospers into all, so there's a lot of references to this. And guys, I have to be honest, I'm the one supposed to preach this, it was a little uncomfortable. Wait, the word said, this is all in reference to the wicked and evildoers. Why do I, why is there a little squeamishness that I don't want to say this is God's hope and promise to us in the face of wicked working? What is that? And I don't have the full answer, but here's what I will say. Part of it, I think, for me, and I would suggest for us, is that when we get right down to it, that's us. In some ways, we recognize maybe the bit of the hesitancy is, just, well, actually, I've been that way sometimes too. We all want to read ourselves into the good side of the scriptures, don't we? Whenever the disciples are you're pictured in the Gospels, you know, whenever the biblical stories are told, we always put ourselves in the category of the hero. We're never the Nebuchadnezzar throwing the three guys into the fiery furnace, right? We're never the other, but church family, the reality is, oh, we most certainly are apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that, guys, I think is the last big, amazing message from this psalm, because here's the hope for us. Where the wicked are forsaken and cut off, Jesus was forsaken and cut off on our behalf. It's not our righteousness we learn from other parts of Scripture that we come to the table with. It's His righteousness. It's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ given to us in exchange for our sin. Guys, the truth, this is a Psalm of David. Do you remember what David did? Do you remember how he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed? And yet, so clearly this man is not relying in his own righteousness, is he? No, this this righteousness is from Christ. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, the psalm concludes. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. He helps and delivers them. He delivers them and from the wicked and saves them, they take refuge.
So, church family, this psalm anticipates. Remember, this was written thousands of years before, uh, at least a thousand years before Jesus came. It anticipates his saving work in the gift of righteousness. And those things far and away supersede the wickedness of the world. So where we are now in time and space, we are looking back on Jesus' work on our behalf. Where he was forsaken and he was cut off, it was in our place. But there is a sense in which we, just like the psalmists and just like the original singers and reciters, are still anticipating the full experience, are we not? We're still in the now and the not yet. We're still in when is the full inheritance going to come, the full experience of his kingdom. So we wait. We wait, trusting the Lord that he knows, that he upholds us in the middle of what we're in, in the middle of the fight, in the middle of the battles, in the middle of the opposition. We wait and we take refuge in him. So I want to invite you, church family, and let's stand. Let us come and take refuge in him. Amen.